a sermon that was written almost two weeks ago now and uh, has been uh, stewing or percolating or whatever you want to call it. Um, the sermon's entitled, Where Are the Shepherds? Where are the shepherds? And we're in Zechariah chapter 11 today. <clears throat> in the middle of uh, the, the heavy COVID season, I was having lunch with an individual and uh, intersected with another pastor in town. And uh, we were talking, and we were talking about the difficulties that we both face in, the, in how COVID had changed uh, ministry. And um, I began to relate what I found most difficult was how to care for individuals when you didn't have consistent gathering time, when you didn't see people face-to-face, when you didn't have those weekly meetings. And this is during the season, you know, where we were live-streaming only or we were requiring masks or all the rest. And um, I will never forget the look on his face because there wasn't a look of uh, agreement. It was more confusion that this was the hardest thing that I had to deal with during this time of COVID. And he said... I guess that can be true if you're a shepherding pastor. And I left that meeting feeling dumbfounded. I thought, what is a shepherding pastor? Is there any other kind of pastor? I mean, God's call to Peter, who was the rock of the early church, was to feed my sheep, tend my sheep, and feed my lambs. And so I always just considered that's what pastors do. That's how we shepherd. That's when what's been exemplified for me. And, and if you look at Scripture, all of the, the founders of, of Israel were shepherds, right? It's in their DNA. Um, Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so there's something in the nature and character of a shepherd that matches the nature and character of a pastor. And I, I think most pastors, we do due diligence to study shepherds. Uh, and see what, what makes a shepherd a shepherd. Why did God consistently call shepherds? Now, a few days later, I came across a quote from Pastor Dan Pacifico, who was a pastor here at Covenant for many years. Uh, his wife, Eileen, is still with, with us. He always called her Peaches. And he said, There are pastors aplenty, but very few shepherds. There are pastors aplenty, but very few shepherds. And I realize not everyone called to the pastorate, sees their, uh, their ministry as a shepherd taking care of sheep. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. Hopefully this sermon series in Zechariah has been helpful to you because we can totally relate to many of the things that Zechariah is noticing in his time period. They were in a rebuild, we're in, in a rebuild of sorts. And sometimes in a rebuild it's hard to see and believe for the future. God's vision for us is always greater than our vision for ourselves. Sometimes we have trouble having faith in God because we can't see with our eyes what He's promised us. But we can't let our physical vision hinder God's great vision for us. And so He says multiple times in the early part of Zechariah, do not decry small beginnings. And so that's our theme in so many ways. What we may seem as small or minimal, minimal now has a ripple effect for future generations. And so we're always focused on, on kids and ministry and doing the, the small things daily, right? Daily obedience leads to great things in future generations. Two weeks ago, we saw how God promises to fight our battles, to bring victory 
over our old familiar foe and actually cause enemies to become brothers and sisters. And so he does the work. We don't have to do the work. He does the work. We trust in him. We simply have to not fear, be strong, and believe what he tells us. And so this morning, we're going to read the first six verses of Zechariah 11. Open your doors, Lebanon, so that fire may devour your cedar forests. Weep, you cypress trees, for all the ruined cedars. The most majestic ones have fallen. Weep, you oaks of Bashan, for the thick forests have been cut down. Listen to the wailing of the shepherds, for the rich pastures are destroyed. Hear the young lions roaring from their thickets in the Jordan Valley are ruined. This is what the Lord my God says. Go and care for the flock that is intended for slaughter. The buyers slaughter their sheep without remorse. The sellers say, praise the Lord, now I'm rich. Even the shepherds have no compassion for them. Likewise, I will no longer have pity on the people of the land, says the Lord. I will let them fall into each other's hands and into the hands of their king. They will turn the land into a wilderness, and I will not rescue them. During this time in Israel's history, we know Lebanon as a nation, but during this time in Israel's history, Lebanon is not a nation. It's a region. It's an area. Um, during the time of, of uh, Saul or Saul and David and, and Solomon, Lebanon was known for their great, enormous cedar trees. And as Solomon is building the temple and his palace, uh, he works out a deal to bring these giant cedars into these new constructions. And so in order to do that, he contacts the king of Tyre, not the king of Lebanon, but the king of Tyre, who we heard about just a couple of weeks ago, and came up with a plan to gather these timbers from Lebanon. Now, Lebanon means white, like Laban means white, okay? And so Lebanon probably is referring to the fact that Lebanon is full of these tall mountain peaks where the very top of it is white with snow. Uh, Israel has the lowest place on earth, the Dead Sea, and just a few miles away, they have huge mountain peaks with snow on them. It's a crazy kind of region, crazy area, uh, as far as the, the diversity and, and their structure. So when we read about fire consuming the cedars in Lebanon and forest cut downs and the loss of rich pastures and the ruined thicket in the Jordan Valley, this is not God's judgment to other nations. We've already seen that with, in Zechariah. This is God saying, I'm bringing judgment on you. This judgment falls on you. It's a result of the sins and shortcomings of the religious and political leaders. For starters, in verse 4, there's a charge for Zechariah to care for a flock intended for slaughter. Slaughter by who? The buyers? who slaughter their sheep without remorse, the sellers of the flock who care only for money, claiming God's favor on them as they trade in their sheep for more for themselves, and the shepherds who have no compassion on their own sheep. So, who are these three groups? The best way I know how to understand it is, the buyers seem to be an outside power who don't care for God's people. Now, we live in West Virginia, right? And so we understand this concept. Most of the individuals who own the majority of our own state's resources don't live in the land. And so they really don't care many times for the repercussions of, of how they gather the resources from our land because they don't live among us. Very similar situation. 
Uh, the sellers seem like political leaders who are only concerned for their own gain, right? And the shepherds are religious leaders who are not embracing their design and call to be shepherds. And so I would say a religious leader with no compassion for his sheep is failing to accomplish God's call on their lives. So why are there fires in, ce- in, in the cedars and destruction in the whole forest and pastures and thickets devastated? Because their leaders do not care for the people. They only care for themselves. Now, can we relate to this? Yes, <laughs> unfortunately so. Elections are coming up, and if you're like me, you're frustrated with the majority of politicians. Um, who seem to be trading in our future for to line their own pockets. They say, praise the Lord, I'm rich. And they make themselves wealthy on the labor of the people. Our futures uh, and businesses in our land are literally being bought up by other nations. There are tracts of property being bought up by China and, and other nations. We're, we're selling our future to other nations to the point where we're not the major world power anymore. These other nations are becoming major world powers, and they won't care for our needs like those that have gone before. And then there's the failure of our religious leaders. Now, I'm always careful. I've got to be careful here to, to, to point the finger at anybody because I'm a religious leader. I'm included in this number. But there's nothing more heartbreaking than having a hero of the faith let you down when their teachings are more focused on popular culture than on God's word. Or they're caught up in celebrity status, fame, or fortune themselves. And we've seen that time and time again. And it's heartbreaking every time. Or maybe their hidden sinful lives get exposed and undermine their whole ministry. And we've mentioned his name before, but Ravi Zacharias comes to mind because he's been such an influence on so many of us. It's hard to listen to his sermons and teachings. His teachings are still good. The truth is still there, even though he didn't live it himself. And, and I've had discussions with guys, and we've said, you know, we don't throw away Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon, because Solomon had a wi- thousand wives and concubines and, and, and uh, committed pagan practices. The truth is still the truth, but it's still heartbreaking. It, it, it still puts kind of a, a damper on, on the, those ministries, and it makes you heart sick. So I would say this passage is to you. You're the sheep of this generation, intended for slaughter. It seems like politicians are against you. It seems like uh, religious leaders are against you. It seems like outside forces are against you. And so you feel this kind of doom that, that ahead of me is just slaughter. And, and so... You can feel hated and neglected and used and abused. But I want to tell you, I, Pastor Sean and Amy Whiteman, Lindsay and Ephraim Pastore, Joy and Derek Pacifico, Pastor Steve, Pastor Dave, many others have been called to be your shepherds in this time period. You may feel that way, but you have shepherds who are called and dedicated to 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 giving their lives for your benefit. Let's keep reading. So I cared for the flock intended for the slaughter, the flock that was oppressed. Then I took two shepherd staffs and named one favor and the other one union. I got rid of the three shepherds in a single month. 
I'm gonna, the next verse I'm going to hold off on. But it's not easy to care for a flock that's been oppressed. It's not. Who wants to volunteer to help hurting people? You know it's going to get messy. Have you ever taken a, a stray animal in or, or brought in an animal from a pound that it was abused? It's a lot of work, right, to get that animal, to give of the time and effort to bring it somewhat back to normalcy. You can bring that animal into a loving home and meet all of its needs, but it may never trust you. I have a cousin who, who actually is named Nathan as well. I have a running joke that he was named after me because he was born a month after I was. And uh, his mom and my mom argued back and forth. They picked the same name. and So anyway, they both named their sons Nathan. But uh, he does this. He takes in, uh, he's an adoptive or, or foster parent to pets. And uh, I don't remember the name of the dog that he had, but a couple years ago I went and visited him in Texas. And this dog was really mistreated. Was missing hair, was old, kind of stumbled around as the ugliest dog you've ever seen. Messed itself just uncontrollably. It hid from me uh, anytime I was around. And it would come closer to my cousin because he kind of earned uh, a little bit of respect from this dog, but he still would not allow him to pet it. And so sometimes ministry doesn't give back to you as much as you give to it. Most of the time we don't want to do to it because we're not getting back what we expect we should. And so sometimes we expect some sort of specific type of return, like affirmation. I, I need to be affirmed by you, or i got to see some growth in you. But ministry to people who've been oppressed is not rewarding in that sense. The heart of ministry is never about what you receive, but always about what you give. Always. And so those poor leaders and shepherds described earlier forgot this truth. Politicians fail to do their job when they forget that their terminology, what they should be called, are public servants, right? They serve the people. They give of their time and effort to do what benefits us rather than them. Same way with religious leaders. We're called to serve. Although we often are, have positions of prominence, we're more visible, we're outspoken because you hear us deliver messages all the time, we're called to be servants as well. And so um, God provides everything that we need, and so ministers need to, to be ministers, an example to the good shepherd who calls us to shepherd over flocks, and sometimes he calls us to shepherd over flocks who have been abused by previous under-shepherds. And what you give to a flock like this is two things. Favor and unity. Favor in the sense that you give them a safe place where they can experience the love and grace of God undeserved. That's what favor means. It means undeserved love and grace. It's, it's a place where they experience something they've probably never had before or forgotten. And the other part is unity, a place where they can trust and rebuild and become something greater than themselves. Zechariah relates how within a month of his receiving this call, he gets rid of, of three evil shepherds. Oh, no, I'm jumping ahead. No, I'm in the right place. Uh, 
he, uh, yeah, he, he, um, he gets rid of three evil shepherds. And we're not told who these individuals are. It's not pertinent to our understanding. But it is important for our growth because, unfortunately, many in the church have suffered from poor leadership. You probably know people or have had gone through a season in your life where you didn't attend church or, or you didn't want to be a part of other Christians because some leaders let you down. They were a poor example to you of, of what a leader should be. And I'm not just talking about pastors. I'm talking about Sunday school teachers and other leaders that you looked up to that, that, that let you down. And so um, in trying to protect his flock intended for the slaughter, Zechariah had to remove those who were supposed to help but were actually harming the flock. That was his position. And um, uh, confrontation is never easy. Nobody looks forward to confrontation. Uh, but I've learned every time confrontation comes up, it exposes a fault or flaw, either in myself or others. And so when, when those things are exposed, it's an opportunity for growth. You do not have an opportunity for healing without a, a confrontation. And so Mark just mentioned earlier meeting this guy who, who had this cancer diagnosis. There was no opportunity for healing until he realized he had cancer. It's the same with us. And so sometimes in order for growth to occur, there has to be some of these transitions. And so the goal of any kind of confrontation needs to be uh, forgiveness needs to be grace, needs to move on, but, but sometimes when both parties won't work together, there has to be a separation. All right, let's pick back up. But I became impatient with these sheep, and they hated me too. So I told them, I won't be your shepherd any longer. If you die, you die. If you're killed, you're killed. And let those who remain devour each other. Ouch. <laughs> It's not easy being a shepherd. Pastor Sean, is it easy being a shepherd? No. And sometimes we as pastors and leaders reach our limits as well. Patience means walking at the pace of another person. Impatience means you want to run ahead. We're not told why Zechariah becomes impatient or why the flock ended up hating him. My guess is that their damage from previous wounds was a hindrance to people trusting Zechariah. Sometimes, and I've known pastors who, who have been called or assigned to a church or whatever else, and they get a congregation that has years and years of wounds, and they may be an amazing individual or pastor, but they cannot bring growth to the church because they cannot build that trusting relationship. They end up hating them, and the pastor ends up resenting them as well. And so Zechariah, in turn, gets frustrated with trying, and, uh, and he gets to the point where he didn't feel the call. He stops being a shepherding pastor, right? He says, if you die, you die. If you killed, you're killed. I'm done with you. Oh, have you ever felt that way before? You don't have to raise your hands. It could be that way with family or coworker, even your children. I'm just through with you. Yeah. And let's be honest. We've all been through tough seasons of late. We're tired. We're worn out. Your trust in anything may be at an all-time low. You don't trust politicians. You don't trust the news. 
You don't trust religious leaders. And so we see corruption. I see corruption and, um, and my guard up. I, I've, in many ways, my trust in leadership as a whole is at an all-time low. And when we don't trust, what do we do? We put up our guard. We put up our protective wall. But when our trust is lost and our guard is up, even good shepherds don't have a chance to reach our hearts. And so any time, and in the condition that we're in now, in the state that we're in, the question needs to be less about what other people are doing right or wrong. The question has to be, what is the condition of my own heart? Now, after we get through Zechariah, guys, we're going to jump into Samuel. You excited to hear about Saul and David and Samuel? and It's going to be great, right? But that's really the question that comes up again and again and again, specifically with David. As Saul continues to attack him, the leader, the king, the first king of Israel continues to attack him, will I allow those oppressive things, this bad shepherd in my life, to change me negatively so I have my wall up and I'm not trusting and I'm not doing what God called me to do, or... Am I going to constantly allow God to look at my heart and change the things about me that need to change? Am I trusting God even when I don't fully trust people or current structures? Let's try. Let's, let's not get to a point where we don't have anything emotionally left for anyone else and we don't care if other people live or die. And it, I like passages like this simply because it shows that even people like Zechariah who are in the Bible that have a book named after them get to the same point. So you're not weird and you're not feeling God, failing God if you get to this point. You're human. We can all get here. So how do we get out of it, okay? How do, how do we break this? Then I took my staff called Favor and cut it in two. Well, that shouldn't help showing that I had revoked the covenant I had made with all the nations. That was the end of my covenant with them. The suffering flock was watching me, and they knew that the Lord was speaking through my actions. Well, sometimes, guys, being called to a servant leader doesn't mean that you're called to be completely walked on to the point that it's a detriment to the people. There's a point of long-suffering, and there's a point of enabling. And I think that's what Zechariah is getting at. Is he saying, you cannot have God's favor and grace and forgiveness if you're constantly letting fear dictate your thoughts and your actions. The broken covenant is one of protection. And so what happens when we let fear rule in our heart and life, and we talked about this last week, when fear rules your heart and life, what you're afraid of actually happens. There has to come to a point where we are willing to trust again. If not our leaders, at least the God who put those leaders in place. And so favor and unity falls apart when we don't do our part. Verse 12, and I said to them, if you like, give me my wages, whatever I'm worth, but only if you want to. So they counted out for me, for my wages, 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. This magnificent sum at which they valued me. That's, that's a, a little sarcasm. So I took the 30 coins 
and threw them to the potter in the temple of the Lord. Then I took my other staff union and cut it in two, showing that the bond of unity between Judah and Israel was broken. Zechariah wanted something in return for him tending and caring for the sleep, these sheep intended for the slaughter. He says, you owe me something. I poured out my heart and soul for you. You pay me whatever you think I'm worth. And what do they do? They pay him 30 pieces of silver, which is the price of a slave. Zechariah was worth to them no more than what they would pay for the lowest class citizen. You're not worth much to us. That's the same price that Joseph's brothers were paid when Judah suggested they sell their brother instead of kill him. And as you chuckled, I, I, I know what you understand, that that's the same price that Judas was paid to betray Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Can you see the clear prophecy here where Judas realizes that he traded the great shepherd for his own gain? He goes to the temple and he tries to make it right and tries to give the money back to the religious leaders saying, we've done something wrong, this man is innocent, I've got innocent blood on my hands. And the religious leader says, what's that to us? They won't take it back and so he throws the 30 pieces of silver on the temple floor and leaves. And the religious leaders, trying to act all holier than thou, we can't do anything with this money, it's blood money. Yeah, it's blood money you paid. So what do they do? They went out and bought the potter's field where foreigners and the poor were buried. The prophecies right here in Zechariah chapter 11. Why is it here? Because Jesus knows how underappreciated a shepherd feels. Even the Savior of the universe was underappreciated by those he came to live and die for. We are hard on Judas. Of course we are. But we so emphasize Judas's betrayal that we don't emphasize God's love for Judas. That Jesus spent three years of his life specifically pouring into Judas. The greatest shepherd of all. Knowing in his foreknowledge that Judas would betray him still was dedicating his heart and life to him. And so this kind of self-seeking and selfish gain always destroys unity. I remember when we studied in Acts and we studied about Ananias and Sapphira, right? Why did they drop down dead when they simply just lied about how much they gave to the church when they sold their own property? Even Peter said, listen, we didn't ask that you pay anything from that field. You willingly gave to the church this money. The problem is not in how much you gave, it's the lie. And so the lie of self-gain always destroys unity. The beauty of Jesus is that in spite of his frustration with us, he doesn't break his covenant, but still, still willingly went to the cross to die our death. So even though it's not explicitly stated in this passage, as we see Zechariah's frustration and his anger and he's breaking these staffs, what we see in here is the prophecy of the good shepherd who comes and says, even though your sheep intended for the slaughter, even though you hate me, even though you betray me, even though I have every reason to be done with you, 
I'm going to a cross anyway. I'm going to die your death. I'm not going to break. In fact, I'm going to make a new covenant with you that will last for eternity. So let me tell you, people will always fail you. Political and religious leaders will always fall short. But God, the good shepherd, will never give up on us. That's our hope in this day and age. That's how we can break free from the glum and, and the corruption and, and, and all the political intrigue. You can live in constant fear of what might be done to you, or you can live with eternal hope that God, the God of the universe, the good shepherd, is there and available in the midst of tough situations. Daniel is another great book to study during this time period, right? I mean, look at the injustice. Throw us into a fiery furnace because we won't worship foreign gods? All right, I guess that's what's going to happen. A lion's den if, if we don't pray to you and we pray to our God? Well, I guess that's what's going to happen to me. That has to be our heart and our attitude. No one can separate us from our good shepherd. As we studied last week, he whistles. <laughs> he whistles and we follow. Then the Lord said to me, go again and play the part of a worthless shepherd. This illustrates how I will give this nation a shepherd who will not care for those who are dying, nor look after the young, nor heal the injured, nor feed the healthy. Instead, this shepherd will eat the meat of the fattest sheep and tear off their hooves. What sorrow awaits the worthless shepherd who abandons the flock. The sword will cut his arm and pierce his right eye. His arm will become useless and his right eye completely blind. I don't believe it was in Zechariah's nature to be a bad shepherd. Because it shows that he cared, right? You don't get emotionally involved unless you care. God calls Zechariah to play the part of a worthless shepherd. He almost says, you know what? They only think you're worth the price of a slave. All right, show them what they get. You get what you pay for. Don't care for them. Don't, 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 uh, don't, don't meet their needs. Show them how good they've had it. Show them the difference. Show them what they're really asking for. And I think this would be harder. There's been times, Pastor Sean and I can attest to this, where ministry's been difficult. And we said, I don't know if I can do this anymore, Right? This is hard. We, we're emotionally and physically spent. We're, we're worn out. And then we come back to the place of, but this is who God designed us to be. This is our calling. There's no fulfillment found elsewhere. And, and we have to go back to the good shepherd with our scars and our wounds and say, good shepherd, heal us. Make us uh, worthy of the calling you've given us. This is your flock. Help us to love them as you've designed us to do. I can't imagine God calling me or Pastor Sean to say, don't take care of kids anymore. You know, Ellen just went home to be with Jesus. Don't visit her in the hospital. No. Those who are seeking godly counsel, tell them the wrong thing. That would be so much harder. And that was what God called Zechariah to do. I believe the point that God is trying to make to Zechariah and the people is that we cannot stop being shepherds no matter how much it hurts or how little we feel appreciated. To not love one another as we're called to is not just detrimental to the sheep, it's detrimental to us. 
It's like losing your right eye and your right arm. Useless. Now, I'm a lefty, so I'm still good, right? But for most of us who are right-handed and right-eyed, there's a be a severe impairment to what we're capable of doing. So yes, we're all called to this time and place where we're called to a very damaged um, group of individuals. Even ourselves is damaged because of the authority, those in authority, using and betraying. So, I want you to know in this passage, Zechariah is not our example. God is. We can always look at scripture and say, well, Zechariah said if you die, you die. If you get killed, you get killed. I'm just going to do what Zechariah... No, he's not our example here. Our example is the good shepherd. Who is the God of the universe, treated with 30 pieces of silver, just like Zechariah, just like Joseph. And just like Joseph, Joseph still suffered injustice, right? Became a slave, became a prisoner. Even, even had a chance to, to make his brothers pay. And showed them grace and undeserved love. And because of that, the nation of Israel budded. So here's your opportunity, brothers and sisters. Yeah, but sheep bite. I could be hated. I could be abused. I may not enjoy the joys of life that I deserve in this time period. Yeah. But we live for the good shepherd. And what lies ahead of us. I guess that's hard when you're a shepherding pastor. I don't believe there's to be no other kind of leader within the church. Now, that's why I didn't tell you this pastor's name, nor will I slander his name. I pray for this pastor, that he'll realize the truth. You can't be a pastor and not a shepherd. Instead, I'm going to hold on to my, the words of Pastor Dan Pacifico. Pastors are plenty, but there are very few shepherds. I found this picture online of Pastor Dan, and it's a picture of him. He's got a lot more grandkids now and great-grandkids. But it's a picture of him surrounded by his grandkids. And he understood that concept. I'm a shepherd. I'm here for future generations. And one of the people in that picture is Derek Pacifico. Him and his wife are our children's leaders. Stephen Dorinda's kids are in that picture. Mackenzie, who we, we heard from, you know, uh, just this past Wednesday, and what God's doing with her in YWAM. A pastor that understands he's a shepherd leaves a ripple effect for generations to come. Pastor Dan went home to be with Jesus and 2002, and my last time I met him, I told him all about this girl I met in Elizabeth City. Her name was Leah. I think I'm going to end up marrying her. Just started into youth ministry, and he prayed over me, not knowing that one day I would follow his shoes here at Covenant. But that's what we hold on to, shepherds. And you don't have to be a pastor to be a shepherd. You don't have to be. The nation of Israel was full of shepherds. Have a shepherd's heart. Will you join me in caring for the sheep? Let's be different in this day and age. Yes, we're damaged. 
But damaged sheep that are unafraid to show their scars can bring people to glory, even if we have to limp in. So let's be determined, let's not turn on our shepherds, nor let's devour each other. The only way to do this is to fix our eyes on perfection, the good shepherd. His promises are true. He's faithful. His staff is never broken. Instead, his rod and his staff comfort us. I want to end the passage uh, or end the sermon with a passage from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. You know, when you, you read the Old Testament and you understand the Old Testament, it changes the way you look at the New Testament. And so in the middle of Jesus answering a question and, and, and talking, and in the middle of his ministry, I believe this passage in Matthew is recorded because there's a memory in Matthew of Zechariah chapter 11. It says this, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest Ask him to send more workers into the field. Today, he's calling some of you to be sheep or shepherds for sheep intended for the slaughter. Now, that may be a nursing home ministry. That may be a prison ministry. That may be a narcotics anonymous ministry. That may be, be being a foster parent or an adoptive parent. What the world has labeled as the lowest class, the, the, the most useless to, uh, a minister or shepherd to the unborn, we have to say, okay, Lord, I understand that the temporary rewards may not be there. I may not receive affirmation. I may, may be abused or hated all the more. I, I may not see a lot of growth in my lifetime. I mean, even that picture of Pastor Dan again, do you think he'd realize, I mean, Look at the growth that's come ever since that picture was taken. Pray the Lord of harvest sends workers in the field. They are sheep without a shepherd. Lord, as we receive this message today, forgive us where we've allowed our fear and our walls to come up and those that do not look like you have hindered our ability to become shepherds ourselves. We can relate to Zechariah. All of us have been there before. Help us not to break our staves of favor and unity, but to hold fast to the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. Let us be the same, Lord. We are called to a generation intended for the slaughter. The enemy seems to be winning, but God, the only way that those sheep are rescued is if there are under-shepherds that look like the good shepherd that will love them and care for them and bring them back from the brink. So God, first of all, allow your healing touch upon our hearts so that we can continue to love and serve even though we're damaged ourselves. Restore us and bring unity back within the body of Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Worship team, I invite you to come for a closing song.